What's up, everyone? I hope that you are all having a fantastic day from wherever it is that you are listening to my voice. You know what makes me feel more awkward than just about any other social situation? Going to a surf movie premiere. Oh, God, I do not know how to be I, I don't know I don't know how to manage my physicality at a surf movie premiere. I just got back from Proximity, the new Taylor Steele film that Albie is uh, a main character in and is a awesome awesome film. Highly recommend it. But the social situations that ensue from an experience like that I'm just not cut out for it. I'm not cut out for it. I love surfing. I love surfing so much. I'm such a fan of surf movies. I'm such a fan of the fact that we, as surfers, go out and ride waves for no apparent reason. I think it's one of the coolest things that humans can do. But the clicky, vapid, self-indulgent nothingness that comes from the surf industry is stupid. And I refuse to believe that it's the way that we should interact with each other. If someone is talking to you and you want to wrap up the conversation, say, hey, it was great chatting with you. Maybe I'll see you around. Don't look down at your phone as they're mid-sentence and just drift away. It makes me think of the quote by Krishnamurti, which is, that it's no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. And I'll, t- I'll tell you, the thing that I like about Albie is that he treats people like they're people. I met Albie at a, a surf movie premiere a while ago. He had no idea who I was or what I did, and he treated me like a real person. And that goes a long way and and says a lot. I think that the reason for that is because Albie has perspective on the fact that the tide of fame goes in and it goes out. And he was never a golden boy, as you'll listen uh, to and, and hear about in this episode. He's been signed by sponsors. He's been dropped by sponsors. He comes from a place that demands humility. I find that a lot of people from Maui have perspective on the silliness of the industry because they are a little bit more removed than people who are in the thick of it. And I really enjoyed the conversation. He's a smart guy, and he's one of the most exciting surfers on planet Earth right now. Big thank you to Whitney, thank you to Steven, thank you to Kathy, and thank you to Greg for donating to the show on Patreon this week. It is listeners like you that help keep this show going. Everyone who donates to uh, the show is automatically entered into a monthly raffle where I give away gear from my surf sponsors, including Patagonia, RPM Fitness, and Sector 9 Skateboards. So... Uh, Patagonia makes food now, so you could just donate a few bucks and you could have a a gift basket of food sent to your doorstep. Um, And I really appreciate it. 
If you don't have the cash to support the show, there are a million other ways that you can uh, help me out. Just talking about the show, sharing it with friends really helps. I don't advertise. I don't promote the show in any way that I pay for. So it's people like you having conversations and talking about it that helps, um, helps get the word out. I'm also an Amazon affiliate, so if you buy stuff on Amazon, go over to my website first, kyle.surf, not kyle.surf.com, just kyle.surf. Click the Amazon link, that's also where you can donate on Patreon, but if you click the Amazon link and then use that link in the future for Amazon purchases, I get 4 to 8% of your purchase at no cost to you. So it's an easy way to support me. I want to make it clear that you are not supporting the show through Amazon because Amazon is in no way affiliated with the content of this show, but it is supporting me and it's supporting my beer fund. <laughs> All right, everyone, let's get this going. Please welcome my man, Albie Lair. Kyle Cameron here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. It's not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. How long have you how, how long have you lived in this house? Um I think it's my fifth summer here. Fifth summer. Yeah. So every summer you go back to uh every winter back, go back every to winter you go back to Maui and then you come over here. Yep. You're in the thick of things, man. I know. It's they're polar opposites. It's kinda nice though. Maui's just really like slow, you know, especially in the summertime. Yeah. And then here it's just like tons of people so, and just stuff l- going on all the time. A lot of input. Yeah. More, more women in a ten block radius. Yeah, in all of Maui. <laughs> right. <laughs> Guaranteed, actually. <laughs> I'd, I'd actually be willing to bet that. Here, put the microphone just like that. A little closer. Oh, there you go. Yeah, you got it. Okay. Um, you been getting into mountain biking recently? Um, I think it looks, yeah, things are gorgeous. Mountain biking for a couple of years now. Yeah. It's like, I honestly, unless the surf's really good, I have more fun biking and surfing super fun <laughs> is there a good spots to bike around here um i haven't got to go to any of the trails around here i want to go to big bear where you can like ride a chairlift up yeah because i can't imagine that because at home we have like one trail and i ride it like every day but it's like a seven mile loop and you climb like a thousand feet so by the time i do like one loop i'm like already pretty spent back on maui yeah do you have another bike over there do you ship yeah. this thing back and forth no i just bought this one over here um yeah i have like two or three at home. So like where do you? Most expensive hobby too. Oh yeah, <laughs> these things are like three thousand dollars, like for like a average one. Oh yeah, yeah. It's they're so much more high tech than surfing. <laughs> yeah. Where do you go around here? Um, I haven't really got to go yet. I just got that. I just been biking like every day, just like to La Jolla and stuff, just to exercise. Yeah. But I haven't got to ride any trails or anything around here yet. You go off jumps? I do at home. It's fucking sketchy, dude. I know. I freaking broke my collarbone already. Really? Yeah. When? Uh, two years ago or something. Tell me about that. I'm like a big numb in it now. Um, I well, we just have like the trail at home. It's not like super gnarly mountain biking. It's like all the jumps are tabletops, so if you want to just like roll over them, you can. 
but I was getting like just classic like too confident too quick kind of right. thing and then i always whenever i'm f- with my friends and someone tries to like film something on their phone biking i always fall it's just like one of those things and sure enough my buddy was like oh we we're just hitting these last two jumps at the end of our trail like a couple times and he's like oh i want to film you and i was like kind of like tweaking the bike in the l- air a little bit getting all like excited. <laughs> yeah rocket power and, style yeah and then um he was like i was like okay f- like film one i'll try to hit it like really fast I hit it fast and I like started to like try and do like a little whip, but I like started it too early as I was going off the jump. And so I just like, when I went off, I just went awkward and sideways. And, like, <laughs> you know that feeling in the air when you like, you know, you're falling because the yeah. whole time you're leaning one direction. <laughs> no, no, no. I was like, and I just froze and I like, I watched the footage a couple of times. I was like, oh my God, delete that video. I never want to watch that again. And then you came down on your collarbone? Where'd it hit? Right on my shoulder. That's Ooh. how you break your collarbone. You just... On the shoulder. On the shoulder, and it, it, like, pops it out. Right. And it was, like, pretty bad. It, it broke, like, this, like, where, like, fully, uh, you could see the bone was, like, barely not through the skin. Ew. And it's, it was so painful. Really? But and can you do anything about a collarbone, or do you just need to let it heal? Literally, like, you, I went in, and they did an x-ray. And she came, the doctor came in, and actually, after looking at the x-ray, and thought it was a compound fracture, like, through the skin. And then she's like, oh, it's not through the skin. Like, you could get surgery or you could just leave it. Yeah. And then my, I, like, probably could have got surgery where they put, like, where they put, like, a plate in. Right. Um, but it wasn't even really worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what, what do you have to do for rehab for that kind of thing? Um, it's pretty easy, actually. It's, like, the easiest. It's the, as far as I've seen, like, the most minor bone to break. Cause you just you leave it in a sling for like six weeks and then you're you just done. gotta get like yeah like um I did a lot of like acupuncture while I was doing it because I have mm. tendonitis in the shoulder from uh, paddling so much yeah or from somehow like well you know like because your regular foot you lead with your left so my whole left side has all the injuries like do you notice that oh yeah dude you look at my arm dude <laughs> broken that thing three times yeah. once mountain biking actually. It's like very similar story. Like got a little too confident, getting a little buck wild. I'm like, this is the most fun thing ever. I'm good. Yeah. Well, you can get going so fast, so quickly. Yeah. Right. Like there's really like you can get into that state of adrenaline very quickly without a lot of skill. Yeah. And you can start to feel like you're really grooving along, uh, along the corners. It's like riding a big wave for how, like 10 minutes downhill it feels like because you're like completely engaged the entire time yeah like there's no like you can't glance over there you can't like all you can look at is like five to ten feet in front of you yeah and just like pure focus yeah and you're going exactly where like you need to look where you want to go yeah every single time are. yeah it's it's a lot um like you snowboard at all uh, yeah, a little bit a little like snowboarding too like going yeah. through the trees like if you look at a tree you're gonna hit the tree yeah exactly yeah man i went uh with my buddy andrew i was because santa cruz has really good mountain biking up yeah. in the redwoods there's it's a insane. ton of good mountain bikers from there too yeah and uh yeah like so uh tyler and cam mccall yeah greg watts house, you know those guys yeah, yeah at deer camp deer yeah yeah sickest place this ever. is that place great yeah, yeah they, these kids uh, got tractors and set up their own little Disneyland in their backyard. That's like the dream. One day, that's that's all I want is just to have like a mountain bike jump track going around the house. It's like that place is amazing. That's it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so 
one of the kids who who goes up there named Andrew Taylor, um, I traded him some. He was getting into surfing, and I traded him some surf gear for a mountain bike. He got me this like insane, like f- probably like a five thousand dollar mountain bike, and uh, he was like, "Dude, I'll take you. This sounds, this is awesome." And he took me down this spot that, in retrospect, was way too way out of my league, dude. Yeah. But me being me, I was like, "All right." Like I got this. This is amazing. Like having such a blast. And then I went down this this spot where it goes super steep into a big turn. And I just did not look where I was supposed to look and went straight off and landed oh. on my left arm and thing. And I'd broken this arm twice before skateboarding, so it already had plates in it and it just went like with like, the plates and everything? Yeah, well what happens is um the plates oh, sounds like a brutal break it was super brutal well so when you get plates in your arm um usually it will break just at the end of the plate so yeah. if you picture it like you know putting yeah it's uh, like the weak point putting yeah it's the weak point exactly side note did you know that when they take plates and screws out of your arm for surgery they'll reuse them and they'll send them down to developing countries for other surgery centers really so like like those screws that were in your the arm. The screws that are in my arm are now over. in like Hector's arm in El Salvador. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> Isn't that wild? Yeah. Um, have you had many injuries from surfing? Um, yeah, quite a few. I've that my collarbone was the only bone I've ever broken, but um, I did. Yeah, I the tendonitis in my arm is from I tore my pec out towing at Jaws when I was like 19 or something, and I didn't really like. I wasn't like a full tear where it like completely comes off, but right. it was like a partial tear. And then I started using my shoulder, like, cause I didn't do anything about it. So I started using my shoulder weird when I was paddling and that's what gave me tendonitis. It, it's, it has the funniest name. What is it? It's supraspinatus tendonitis. Like that's the name of the ligament. Supraspinatus. <laughs> yeah. Or something like I'll that. be supraspinatus, sure. bro. <laughs> yeah. It'd be a good nickname. How did, uh, how'd that happen from the driver just pulling too fast and you getting jerked forward? No, actually I went up like a, like super high. It was, we were towing. So you end up going so freaking fast on the little boards. I went up like super high and got like a little barrel, like pocket ride right in the like really high and then coming down like from the very tip all the way to the bottom right when I got to the bottom like as fast as you can possibly go I just hit a shop and just, just like boom like right over the handlebars and my arm just came up and over and just like Ugh. Ugh, sounds was, like me on a mountain bike <laughs> it was awful <laughs> so were you towing jaws a lot before you paddled it yeah for we a towed few years it for I think I was 15 the first time we towed it and that who'd, you, was, who'd you go out with? Um, the first time we ever towed it, which is funny because I, I lived next to Laird and stuff for the whole time I was growing up, and I never got to go out with him. <laughs> I never got to surf with him, still to this day, like I did once maybe. But um, actually, the lifeguards, it was like Clay Amadeo, this guy Alfredo, and like Daniel was the other guy. These um, oh, There are a lot of lifeguards from Hokipa. And they took me and my friend Marlon Lewis out. We were like 15 and we we're going to go surf this outer specs wave, which is like a small, like, I mean, not small, but big. Kind of novelty wave when it gets big. Yeah. Jaws, I guess. And um, we got down to Maliko and we had like one tow board between the two of us. And my friend Marlon had a jet ski. And they were just like, oh, change the plans. We're going to Jaws. 
<laughs> we're like, what? We're going to fucking do what now? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> fuck. <laughs> I mean, it's as good as time as any, I guess. And <laughs> so <laughs> um, then we went out there and I remember like the first time like pulling up to it because it's so crazy because the trade winds is like pretty offshore there and it was windy that day. So when you're coming in from like the boats and the skis, you see these like rooster tails, you know, just like the spray coming off the waves. And it's just like so big looking like from the further away you are, like the bigger it looks. And it's like the most intimidating thing ever coming up the first time. And like me and Marlon weren't really planning on catching waves. And we watched them catch a couple and I watched Kaleo get like a 20 footer, like a proper one. And I was like tripping like, whoa, that like look just like a it's so much different from the water. And I was just like blown away. I was like, I can't, I can't believe this is happening. And then like, he got a good one. And he came over and Cleo Amadeo was like, um, oh, you want to go? Like, just use my board. And I was like, really? I was like, fuck it. Like, <laughs> let's do it. And then Marlon got towed in from the other guy. We both went out and there was no one else around. It was just us towing because it was kind of a messy day and it was late in the evening. And my first wave, I was like way on the shoulder, like barely even felt it. But then like the second wave was a big one. It was the second wave of a set too. So it was nice and smooth. And I like bottom turned around like one big section. It was like proper, like 15 foot maybe. And, um, I like remember just like bottom turning around that like section. I was just like, Holy shit. This is the best kind of surfing there is. <laughs> like, I was like, I never want to do anything else. <laughs> Probably never gone that fast before in your life. No, it was like a, it's totally, it's like a totally different feeling from anything I really felt surfing. And I was just like, wow, this is it right here. And that was like my second, like my first wave didn't do it. That was my second wave. I remember I was like, oh, I'm freaking hooked. Wow. And then Marlon got a really big one and he was psyched. And we were just like, came back, told all our friends, just like bragging. Cause we were only like 15. It was like a big deal. Oh, fuck yeah, man. That's, <laughs> that's young. Yeah. Had you surfed big waves much before then? Um, no, up until that point, my biggest wave I've ever caught was probably like a eight foot Hawaiian, like 16 foot face or something. Yeah. Where? Probably just at Hokipo on like a really big day. Yeah. Um, I was always comfortable in bigger surf, but it's Maui's kind of weird. It, it, um, it's either like under eight feet or Jaws. There's right. not really like in between uh, yeah, zone. There's no in between zone. So yeah. Did you? Um, it seems like like it seems like your success has kind of come later in life, where a lot of the guys in Maui. Uh, had a lot of success when they were like 15, 16 years old. Is this, is that at all true? Like it seems like like now you're kind of like hitting this this ascent in a way where a lot of guys f- have already kind of like come and gone. Yeah. No, I've been tripping out on that a lot lately. Um, yeah, when we were all younger, it was weird because the whole Hokipa crew was kind of shadowed by like the marzos and dusties and grangers and th- those were like the chosen ones they were all lived at honolulu bay which is on the other side of the which island is the other side of the island and like they were the guys at least from like our kind of generation you know yeah and like me and matt and barger barger was successful back in the day kai barger um he had a bit of early success he got a couple covers early on when he was like 15, he, 16 year olds. No, when he was um 19, he won the world juniors. He, um, that's when he like Hurley, like really started backing him and just, he was on like every freaking cover for like a week. And 
Because like once people got to know him too, everyone everyone freaking who meets Barger loves Barger. He's a so, man. Yeah, he's the coolest guy ever. So he like really blew up right after he won the World Juniors, and then they. But it was trippy for him because he kind of. A lot of the guys, I think the reason that is is they all got hyped young, you know, in the NSSA days and stuff, and like junior pros did good, and then they all went on the QS basically. And I mean, Dusty's the only one who made it for Maui. Yeah. And even he fell off pretty quick. So it's like, I don't, I don't know that Maui, like, it's, it seems to me like it doesn't really breed like a good competitive surfer huh, why for some reason. Why do you think that is? I mean, it must be something to do with the waves or like, I don't know. It's also just so sick in Maui. Like yeah. it's so nice there. Yeah. You, th- there's not really like that that okay. impetus to like get out and make it. It's like yeah. you guys have amazing waves right there. Yeah. It's a beautiful spot. Yeah, um, I think that's that's a big culprit for like there's a lot of great surfers in Maui that never even tried a career. Yeah, like, co- totally could have, but like why would they? They just surf every day with their friends and like people just get too comfortable there, and that's. It kind of sucks sometimes because then, like, you know, the world doesn't get to see their talent as much. Yeah. Santa Cruz is, has a lot of uh, yeah. s- similarities. Yeah. I, know, I noticed that when meeting all you guys for the first time is, like, when we all started doing contests, like, the Santa Cruz guys and the Maui guys had, like, clicked pretty easily. Yeah. Well, it's a, kind of like a, I mean, Santa Cruz has a very blue-collar surf scene, you know? Like, the guys who are ripping the hardest out on any good day in the wintertime are in between breaks from pounding nails. You know, but yeah. there's still that um, kind of core community that you don't yeah. see in, in uh, other areas like Southern California nearly as much. Yeah, especially Southern California. Yeah, same with, I think, Maui has that too a little bit where, I mean, you get encouraged to surf in Maui, but it's not like Oahu, you know, where they have cameras every session when they're like 10 years old, you know, and everyone, like, it doesn't, surfing doesn't seem as like it's going to be a career when you live on Maui as much as it does probably like in Oahu or other places like Southern California. Right. Were you, uh, was there ever a point in, in your surfing when you thought that you weren't going to be a pro surfer? Like when it looked like it wasn't going to work out? Um, yeah, (laughs) I still think it's going to go away any day now. (laughs) I can't believe it's lasted this long. Um, no, like right when I, cause I was on Billabong as a kid, I like, I wasn't super like chosen kid or anything, but I, I had a little bit of hype and did decent in SSAs and stuff. So like I was on a path where I like, you know, it could work out kind of, but I wasn't betting on it or anything, but I, that's what I wanted obviously. And then like right before I graduated high school, I remember Bill Pong who I'd been with for like eight years just dropped me like out of nowhere. <laughs> Like, no warning, and then every one of the other companies I was writing for just followed suit and dropped me, like, like back to back to back. And then I, at that point, I was like, oh, like, it was already past, like, applying to college time, too. I was like, oh, no, like, I'm going to go do junior pros. I'm going to go do freaking couple QSs and make a run at this. And then it was just like, boom, like, zero funding. And I wasn't even getting paid a lot at all. I was getting paid, like couple thousand bucks a year maybe but enough to travel but and, enough and to make like it work yeah make it work for sure and especially with like my parents help too and but then it was just like it was just cut and then like i lost all my sponsors and i was just like oh shit like <laughs> i guess this isn't my thing 
And then then I got on Alliance, this company that uh, was like a new brand. And they were paying me like the best I'd been paid. And I was loving it. Like everything was working out great with them. They were a super sick company. And then the depression hit and, or yeah, and freaking yeah, gone. Yeah, t- 2008. Like, yeah. Bye-bye. Overnight they were gone. And then I was just back to zero dollars and just freaking i was like oh shit i'm i'm not gonna make it again and then actually we started and then that's when the whole intersection thing kind of came around was around that time like i had no sponsors and then i was literally driving into a dishwashing job (laughs) at um, my like store right by my house veg out um then I got called back from the guys at Ergo because I'd been sending my contract or my resume out to everyone just trying to get anything. And they actually called me back and were like, oh, like we can work something out. It wasn't a big deal by any means, but it was enough to get by and I didn't have to go to work. <laughs> well, uh, what was that call like from Billabong? Do you remember that? Um, yeah, I was on the way to school. I was a senior. Will you pass me a beer, brother? Yeah. Um, and Reynos called me. And I had a, I had a really good relationship with Reynos. He was like our team manager. And I could just as soon as he called me, like <laughs> I was like getting news that someone passed away or something. You could just tell by the tone of his voice. I was yeah. just like, oh shit, this isn't good. And um, yeah, he just told me like uh, he's you know, of course it wasn't his decision or anything. It was the higher ups. Whatever it was and. And I was so bummed. I like fully broke down and cried for like the first time in a long time. And I was just like, the whole day at school, I just remember being like a zombie, like, oh shit, like, what am I going to do? Like, now nah, I'll get another sponsor. And I just remember like hearing about everyone not, everyone, getting everyone struggling. Yeah. yeah. And I was just like, shit, maybe this isn't going to work. What do you think you, you would have done if, uh, if it didn't work? Like, did you have ideas of other things you wanted to do? Um, yeah, I wanted to be a be in the Coast Guard. That's what I was going to do. My brother went into the Coast Guard, and I had a couple friends do that, my friend Dylan. And I really wanted to kind of do anything in the Coast Guard, but I wanted to go to try to go to A school and become a rescue swimmer. Huh. Probably, you know, watch The Guardian. You ever seen that movie? Uh, Got sick, all sick movie, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. But even before that, like, I always kind of wanted to do that. I was like, that's like... That seems like such a fun job where, you know. That's a super sick movie. I haven't yeah. seen that one in a long time. Yeah, I watched it the other day. It's so good. Because we were going to, we were trying <laughs> to do this thing. Um, Who's in that movie? That's it's uh, Ashton Kutcher. And, um, Ashton Kutcher, yeah. And the and uh, Dennis Dennis Quaid. Is it, De- is it Dennis Quaid? The older, was, the older guy? Yeah, what's his, he's like yeah, his, yeah, his yeah, mentor, yeah. right? That's that a sick movie. Field of Dreams. What's his, that's his name, yeah? I think so. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. No, but I was so psyched on that. I was like, oh, that's what I'm going to do. And I like, did all the research and everything and was like totally going to do that as well. Wash dishes for a while, then go to boot camp. But <laughs> luckily I ended up. But then Alliance picked you up. and um, No, that's when Ergo picked me Ergo up. Ergo picked you up. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then it's it seemed like something clicked when Intersection happened. Yeah, for sure. Even the... Um, well, the first year Intersection... Me and Matt both entered like the second round or whatever it was, and everyone loved Matt's video, and I just freaking lost. 
and it like <laughs> like it sucked. So I'm you were so you were in the first. Uh, yeah, I entered si- the first one in the first round, and I lost. And you weren't in the main movie. No, uh, I I got like twenty fifth out of twenty five. In no that way. round, yeah, <laughs> it was such a bummer. Uh, was it was it a good section? It wasn't bad, but I I we kind of Elliot did both of me and Matt's edits, and me and Matt were there making Matt's part, and then we had to leave when Elliot made my part, and it kind of just ended up getting rushed because we got this trip like came out of nowhere. We ended up going to Indo. Who's Elliot? Elliot's the guy who filmed and edited Matt and mine sections. He's good. One. Yeah, he's amazing. Um. But yeah, we got this trip out of nowhere, so we kind of just ended up rushing my part, and it just the surfing was it was it could have the surfing could have made that round for sure, but the edit wasn't it wasn't that good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so you got twenty fifth. Yeah. Got last. Wah <laughs> wah. <laughs> 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 and then Matt made it. That was an amazing edit though that, yeah. that Matt me Well, had. especially Matt surfing at the time was it was super unique. Yeah. So when it came out, it really wowed everyone. Like, How would you describe it? Just, I don't know. The way he does, he has that freak talent, you know? Like, it's in his blood. Like, his sister's an amazing singer. I remember his mom, when we were in um, elementary school, like, to open the fun run. Like, this run race thing we did every year. What kind of race? Just, I don't like, know, you just run like, around like in circles. Foot, like a foot race? Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. You run around circles and see how many laps you can do in like a certain <laughs> amount of time. But his mom would open it. She'd do back handsprings across like the whole field. And she was like 40 at the time. And it's like, they have that like freak talent. Talent. Yeah. Wow. Whole and family. Yeah. Whole families like that. And so when, yeah, Matt's first segment came out, he was doing all these errors where he was just, he'd land errors in like the worst spot to land errors and make it. And yeah, it, just, it really had that like wow factor. Like, holy shit, he's gone! Like, he made it. Like, super all inverted time. too. Yeah, like you and him have that kind of like upside down sh- shit going on. Yeah, I think he's a little better at it than me. <laughs> so he won that year. So yeah, and then he ended up making. And then I was gonna enter the last round, like redo my edit. And I, I had this session. I remember <laughs> at this wave in Maui, where I did like four or five tricks I'd never done before. Like it was one of the best sessions, air sessions I've had at the time. And, um, the freaking camera broke during the session. <laughs> and, like it was <laughs> the worst thing ever. And then I, like, I came in and there was one clip on the camera. I hadn't cried since I got dropped <laughs> until that moment. Yeah. And I was like, it was like a week before like the deadline to enter the last, um, quarter or whatever for the intersection and i was like the whole session i was like oh my god i'm in like i'm gonna add to my old part this is it i came in the camera was broken i was just like i was so mad i didn't even want to make a segment i was like fuck this thing what'd you do in that session uh i did like one of those crazy spins that kerr was doing at the time and like a couple of big passion pops and all backside all front side all front side and um what else? A couple of, like just big full rotations, and it, like for the time, it was like by far the best air surfing I was doing. And it was all like one session. I was just like, yes, like I'm in there. <laughs> and then I came in the whole tape. It was on a tape at the time, and it was just corrupt. I couldn't watch it. I was just like, fuck. Oh not meant to be. <laughs> no. Wow. Um. But but so that was when you were filming for the second round of intersection. That was when I was filming for the first for the first round okay. for the first year because we entered the first quarter because there was like four rounds to enter. We entered the first one 
And then I try I lost, so I tried to re enter the fourth one. But I didn't get any new footage because of that. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking sucks. Yeah, because it wasn't like now where, you know, we had we have the ability to hire a filmer. Like we was just whenever our friends were willing to film us. Right. So getting footage was a lot harder. Yeah. And then uh Matt won though. How much did he win for intersection? Hundred K. Hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah. And then did he get a, a new sponsor and like things? Oh, yeah, he got, um, yeah, Matt's career, like surfing career went from literally zero to a hundred and like a matter of like a month or two. Wow. With, between his like first segment, he was on O'Neill. He wasn't making a lot of money on O'Neill. And then Oxbow approached him, which was like a bold strategy, I thought, <laughs> just going with a, you know, a brand outside of, you know, core. Yeah. But they gave him, like, what was a lot of money at the time and stuff, and he got the ability to travel as much as he wanted. So, like, that, and that was before he won. They, like, signed him with this good deal, and then he was, like, like that, a pro surfer. Holy shit. Were there any conversations that, that you guys had, like, during that month period? I know you guys are really good friends where you're like, holy shit, like, this, it's starting to happen for yeah. you. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, like, it was trippy, too, because... Fucking San Diego. Oh, with God. With all these. Got the alarm. <laughs> all these. No, just keep going. We're good. Um, it's ambiance. <laughs> yeah. He just went from literally no. Because, like, when we were kids doing contests and stuff, like, I got a few sponsors here and there. Like, I was with Bill Long forever, and Matt never really got sponsored or anything. Yeah. So he had, like, no here, surfing career. Let's just wait. And it stops, of yeah. course. So, uh, so he had no surfing career up until the point he was 20. Like that's that's a late start for a surfing career, especially nowadays. You see freaking kids on Red Bull and they're like twelve. Yeah, making more money than I ever will. <laughs> <laughs> Fuckers. <laughs> no, that was the that was definitely trippy for Matt because it went from like he was always okay in contests and did good like one here and there, but he was never like his surfing didn't take off until he was really like nineteen, and then that all happened like so within like you know a year or two he went from like it was just such a big change in his life and i remember that whole time we were just tripping like whoa this is really happening for you were there any conversations or or moments that you remember from that um i remember we were in newport when the round was ending and i was off (laughs) i was losing and matt was still like in third like solidly i was top five make it and I remember us just looking at it. It was like the last day or something. I was just like, dude, you're going to be in a fucking Taylor Steele movie. <laughs> like, that is crazy. And he's like, dude, I am. <laughs> and then I remember just kind of, we were both just kind of tripping on the whole thing. Wow. Why were you, will you say you were stoked for him? It seems like you were. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, like I said, up until that point, he didn't really have a surfing career. Yeah. Like, that was. And it, like it, I always knew just because I know Matt and his family and he has that freak talent that it was in the cards for him but it didn't really seem like it until that moment a lot of it's luck and timing yeah like I, it, the fact that surfing got that good right when a platform emerged that showcased it perfectly like that's you can't script that so the next year you re-entered yeah and then the next year I saw I remember we had the premiere in Maui <laughs> and it was like because the whole time I, I like I honestly didn't feel like one bit jealous of Matt at all I was just stoked for him 
And then when the premiere came in Maui and, like, the intro of the movie started, and, like, it had all the names of everyone in it, it was, like, a bunch of gnarly guys, and then Matt's name was in it, and I was just, like, I got so jealous. I was, like, what the fuck? I should be in this movie, too. <laughs> <laughs> at that point, I was just, like, from uh, at that point, I made the decision. I was, like, I'm winning next year. I'm freaking doing this next year. I'm doing good. I'm going to win. And, like, <laughs> so just what telling it, myself that. So what did you do to, to make that section happen? Um... I just begged people to film me more. <laughs> Elliot? And, yeah. Elliot Elliot would film, like, good days, but a lot of it was my friend Marlon, who I talked about in that Jaws story earlier. Um, he would film a lot, and I had my friend Dylan McNeil film. And I just would, like, just scrape whatever money I had together and be like, oh, I'll pay for your meals for the day. Like, please just come film. Yeah. And then like, and sometimes we'd take turns a lot of the time. Like I'd go in and film them after and just whatever I could do to just get a couple waves on footage. But you didn't have a sponsor at the time who was paying a filmer for you. No, I didn't have any income. <laughs> I don't think. Really? <laughs> Literally my only income was I, I did get in a couple contests and my, my parents would help me out to get to like contests on Oahu and stuff. And I'd stay with friends, just do everything as cheap as possible. And, I taught surf lessons for a while too, and just any little odd jobs to make a little money. And then I actually did good in a couple of contests and made like a couple thousand bucks here and there. And I just like put it all into trying to pay the filmer if I could. Yeah. And uh, w your section was mostly around Maui, is that right? It was all Maui. All Maui. Yeah. The first one was. And then the second one, I like a couple ways from Tahiti and Fiji. That was the one where you burnt all your NSSA trophies, right? Yeah. How sick. Not all of them. Not all of <laughs> them. It was fourth place and under. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> Which was most of them. <laughs> that's, that's super funny. Yeah, there's this great, the great intro scene of you putting lighter fluid all over your yeah, trophies. That was so fun. That was like Elliot's idea and we like started, or you kind of just mentioned it and we started like running with it and it was such a fun concept. <laughs> this is so fun. Is there a point where you're like, yeah, yeah, let's throw this this first place one? And you're like, no, 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 no. Let's hold on He's to like, that you got one. Some trophies you want to burn? I was like, I got plenty of trophies I want to burn. <laughs> Everything under fourth place can go. <laughs> I don't need to remember those. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, oh, that's really funny. I thought you burned all your trophies. <laughs> oh no, you go to my room now. It looks like I ripped because it's only third place and above. <laughs> There's not as many, but it's <laughs> uh, amazing. And. Uh, and then that the you guys put the section together and and did you think that you're gonna make it in the movie at the time? Um, yeah, well the first section we did we because we started we started planning for it like you know from the moment the first movie came out I was like they're gonna do this again like it was a success like let's start working towards this and so like first round we had our segment done early we were just like we were hyped for it and especially uh, since. Matt and Elliot won. Winning became not just a possibility, but like, like oh shit, we can do this. Like, it, you guys just did it. Yeah. So it was it was like a definitely a different approach going into the second year, and um, yeah, so we were ready. And uh, when our first segment came out, it was still probably my favorite segment we ever made. Like I've I've ever got of myself, I think, because it was like that Slipknot song, and it was like really dark and just I don't know. It was like. It, it was good and it was just like you know i had two years to get all that footage because i was planning for it or a year probably yeah i mean you had that wave at the very beginning on that big left 
Yeah, that, that still to this day it was a, yeah, was a still, wave. I'll never forget that wave for sure. Um, yeah, I was at a slab in Maui that we looked at forever, and that was the first time we ever surfed it. Like really? A bunch, yeah, a bunch of the Hokiba guys went out there, and mostly they were towing it and um, getting some crazy ones, but it was hard to tow because you end up out running because the barrel, it doesn't peel really fast. It's like one just big slab, so you got to be like really going slow to get barreled. Um, so it somehow works better to paddle it, but it's super hard to paddle. (laughs) I I got that one. I don't know. I don't really remember much about that wave. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like all your best ways, you know, you kind of black out, (laughs) but I remember like, like Frank from old school, I blacked out what happened. I blacked out what happened. Um, but I remember watching the footage and be like, holy shit, that's me. (laughs) Like, holy crap. That wave looks legit. Yeah. And then, uh, and then the section came out and tell me about that that time period when you were when all the voting was happening. Yeah, well, actually, I had this segment, and I showed it to like a couple of people. And I was trying to get sponsored, so I got sponsored by Ergo just before it came out. And so I finally had a sponsor again. You know, and it was all still possible. <laughs> and then the segment came out, and it was really trippy. I went from, I remember I went down to. Some other segment came out like during the trestles event and I was over here. And I remember like going down the day before it came out and then like going down like at the end of the event after it came out and no one talked to me one bit the first day and like a couple like pros or whatever like said like oh like six segment to me and stuff and I was just like holy shit you you saw that? <laughs> it was like it was a huge change for but me for sure. Who was it? I can't remember. Oh, I think who was it? Someone. Oh God, I can't remember now. I okay. Hit my, I hit my head too many times. Um, that one. That must have been an interesting shift, though, to like start to get recognized around. Yeah, it was a huge. Like I had parts of my amateur career where I, you know, I was doing all right and was kind of in with the you know cool kids of surfing, but that was the first time I was like. I, I don't know. I guess, like, doing something outside a contest, it was, like, really cool to get recognized for, you know, a video segment. Yeah. Like, and for something that speaks to your strengths, it seems like throughout your career, one thing that's been consistent is you haven't been willing to change your image to appease a company. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm sure in some ways to your detriment, like if a company was like, well, I'll be like, we'd like you to be a little bit more like this. Oh, yeah. I was the first surfer on Nike. Did you know that? I did not know that. And then I was the only surfer to ever drop Nike. <laughs> Tell me that story. <laughs> oh, God. That was, <laughs> that, was a, that was a rough time for me. Um, no, I was, I was, I got on Nike r- right when they got into surfing, when it was Nike 6.0, and, um. I was the first guy they picked up because the guy knew the guy at Billabong and all the other kids on Billabong had shoe sponsors. So I was like, just randomly picked, you know, not based on talent or anything, <laughs> just right place, right time. And then it was a pretty like, it was a rad thing. Like I got to go to the Nike offices and do all this stuff. And then they like, and then they built a surf team and, um, and they brought on like a team manager. But you were on before then. I was on before that. Oh, wow. I was. It was me and Monica were the only two people on Nike for a while. Who's Monica? Monica Elegram. Okay. From Maui. Um, and 
So they brought on a, a team manager guy, and he picked out a team. And, you know, I w- me and Monica were the only people he didn't pick. So instantly, like, not obviously favorites. <laughs> and so me and him kind of butted heads. But how did that work? Like, you were already – so you were picked by someone else to be yeah, on Nike? Yeah, like, when they started the team, they didn't start a team. They are just like, oh, we're going to pick a surfer and start, like, w- seeing if this works. And then they, like, all right, it's, like, with me and Monica and just – they had like one from each kind of sport or like one or two from each sport. And then they're like, all right, we're going to do a full surf team. Right. And they got a guy, he picked a team and I, you know, I, he had previous relationships with all the other riders besides me basically. And so me and him kind of butted heads and I was like 16 at the time, I think. And, um, we, I, he came to Maui and he just like, we just had a different view on what we wanted surfing to be. And he was, like, just telling me, like, oh, you have to be, like, doing photo shoots every day, like, this and this and this. Like, otherwise, you're going to be a dishwasher. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, and all this shit. And I was just, like, no. Like, I I know how to to fucking doing. Like, I have a plan. Like, because I always had, like, a plan on what I want to do. I was, like, I'm going to make surf movies. And, like, that that's just, like, not a realistic career when you're a 16-year-old kid. You know, it's one in however many actually gets to do it. And... He just like was. Uh, he just wanted me to be something I wasn't, and it, it got to a point we were just. I don't know exactly like how to explain it. He just like wanted me to do all those photo shoots. Like kind of just put me into this like cookie cutter like clean, clean look. I guess. Yeah, like kind of like the Nike look. Yeah, the I clean mean, Nike, it's a Nike look. look. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I just couldn't do it, and I just didn't like. I don't know. I just didn't participate well in like all the Nike trips after that, because I felt like I was just like the outcast of the group or yeah. something. And and then it got to a point when he was on Maui, he was really trying to shoot, and he like didn't want to shoot any of the waves I wanted to shoot, and all this stuff. And like he'd want me to go to the Honolulu surfing the crowds, you know, like all this shit. I'm like, no, like I can I can do airs of these shitty little waves over here. Like it'll look cool, I swear. And like it was just different we just had different views completely and it got to a point where i was just like dude fuck this like i'm not having fun i'm fucking over this i don't care what you did just fucking i'm, I'm done <laughs> and it was like kind of heavy at like 16 to do that oh yeah big and my time. mom like oh she lost it on me for that my dad was tripping everyone my dad was just like oh like kind of understanding my mom was just tripping on me like what the fuck are you doing you're throwing away a career and yeah, and then after that, that's when I went into, like, the really hard time. Billabong dropped me, like, during that, and then Nike dropped me right after. Was there a conversation that you had with yourself that made you um, decide that you, were, that you weren't willing to participate in that? No, I, I just one day we got into, like, a me and the guy got into an argument over, like, where to surf, and he just, like, told, he was just kind of bad mouthing my like surfing and like telling me I wasn't good enough and shit and I was like I don't fucking need this <laughs> and I just me and the guy are now friends um he, he's right. like a totally different person now he was going through like shit at the time too <laughs> and um so we just butted heads and freaking yeah and then I was just like I don't need this and I was like fuck this I don't care I'm done <laughs> yeah I was like drop me this is, I don't care <laughs> And then he And then did. they dropped you. And then they did. Brought over a piece of paper the next day. Got it like faxed over. Like he was wanting me to get dropped. <laughs> what did the paper say? <laughs> Just like, I, I, this is releases you from your contract. I was like, what if I don't sign it? He's like, well, 
it'll take longer or something. I was just like, <laughs> trust me, Nike will win. <laughs> Fuck this. I'm out. <laughs> wow. Um, what a wild ride you've had, man. <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot of ups and downs. I know. I think I've lost more sponsors than any other surfer. <laughs> Good for you. I think so. But so yeah, still here. <laughs> you're st- well, I mean, dude. I mean, now you're kind of bigger than ever, in a way. Like, and it's and it's been because, like, you have this very unique, um, this very unique look now. You know, like you like you were never willing to sacrifice who you were early yeah. on and now like the those weird waves that you go to are in large part um waves that define you yeah ab- absolutely i'm super lucky that it ended up you know working out because it very easily couldn't have i mean could have not and um yeah i guess as you know if you do something you're passionate about and you don't if you're passionate about it and like you follow your path like if you're passionate about something, you're going to do it until you get good enough to, you know, make be it work successful. for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like as long as that's just kind of what I did, I guess, is just I stayed true to my passion in surfing, which is kind of, I don't know, I guess big waves and trying new tricks. Yeah. Basically is what I get the most joy out of. And because of, you know, not getting pulled in the contest, not getting pulled in like the photo shoot guy all i cared about was like video because that's you can't because you can lie in a photo you can make anyone look cool in a photo oh yeah <laughs> but video you can't hide you know and um so that's just where all my passion was and i focused on that and if you stay focused on something as long as i did like eventually you're gonna get good enough to make something of it i think yeah so. was do, do you do you ever have any moments of conflict though where you're like do this like this isn't working i'm willing to sacrifice a little bit to to fit in a little bit more um yeah i like i've had a lot of talks with a lot of very smart people that tell me where i need to sacrifice you know kind of like not like learning the difference between doing something i mean that i don't want to do learning the difference between i guess um you know me not doing something just to not do it or like not doing it because it's not my passion right like not resisting just to resist kind of thing yeah yeah which is it's there's nuance to it yeah <laughs> there's nuance to not just <laughs> being the person <laughs> who says no all the yeah, time exactly. for no reason right and then um intersection came out and you you won and did your life dramatically shift in the same way that Matt's did yeah i th- think so i think it really started shifting though once we put out that first segment because it was even before even before you won just yeah because then people got well, to see yeah, people, how dynamic you are yeah that was the first time i ever sh- got to showcase my surfing to you know an audience outside of i guess maui and from that point it definitely was like a career in surfing not just surfing free surfing actually became possible yeah. And uh, d- d- you had been surfing, uh, you had been paddling Jaws for a couple years before then. No, I paddled my f- my first wave I paddled at Jaws was in the intersection part. Really? Yeah. 
It what was, was so that funny because we had all this tow footage and they didn't allow tow footage in the intersection. I was just like, fuck, we could crush this part if they allowed the tow footage. They, they didn't and allow they, it. It was in the rules, really? Yeah. You really? didn't have any tow in, no jet ski assist. And um, That's kind of cool. Yeah, I like it. I was stoked on that. And he's like, I remember Nathan Myers, the, one of the guys who does intersections with Taylor, wrote me a message and was like, just go paddle, Jaws. I was like, oh, yeah. And it was like before anyone had paddled it. And I kind of... I remember having a conversation with Greg Long one time. The first time I ever met him out at Jaws, he ended up getting really fucked up that day. He got like a really bad concussion. It's like the worst wipe I've still ever seen in my life. Towing. Yeah. And um, he told me that story. Yeah, it's fucked up. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was great. I was looking into that barrel while he was getting sucked over. Like made eye contact with him while he was like in the lip. Bring me into that <laughs> that situation because I wasn't there, obviously. Oh, he just. He was on, like, one of the biggest sets of the day. It was Christmas morning, like, 2010, 11, 10, maybe 2009. I don't know. Long time ago. But he just got to the bottom. He had all his – they had their tow boards set up so fucked. Him and Twiggy, they both got destroyed that day. But they had their weights above their front foot where you want the weight in your tow board, like, kind of where your balls is, supposedly they say, <laughs> like, right in the middle of your feet. And you can see it. He's got to the bottom of the wave, and his board was chattering, and he just stopped dead, and just fell right as the wave doubled up, and just went like slow motion, sucked over the falls, and just got detonated. And we were just like looking, and I, I was driving the ski, and I just was like, I pushed Billy, and I was with Billy Kemper and Matt, and I just pushed them off the line. I was like, I'm going in to fucking save this guy. Like I just died. I had no idea it was Greg at the time. I was like, whoever that is is dead. <laughs> like, there's no way you can live through that. But that's fucked up, man. Yeah, it was crazy. It, it was rattling. It almost seems more dangerous for guys like yourself and like Greg sometimes because people, when they recognize you, are like, oh no, it's cool. Like, they're gnarly. They'll be okay. Yeah. Do you ever feel that way sometimes? Uh, definitely. But I, at the same time, almost fell over. <laughs> Mountain bike almost fell over. <laughs> um, at the same time, well, at spots like Jaws, I've. Because, you know, a lot of the ski drivers are my friends and they recognize me. I, I feel safer there. But I could I could almost see that at Mavericks. Like, oh, yeah, like, oh, that's he does this all the time. He's fine. But it's like, no, we're fucking not. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> that wave can kill anyone. It doesn't matter if you're freaking Greg Long or Shane Dorian. If you're in the wrong spot, you can, you're fucked. Yeah. Yeah, big time, man. Uh, so you went in and, and you saved him on that day. No, or someone or else got to him before me, but every okay. single ski went in to save him and watching that wipe out. But that was like, I met him that day and that's when we first started talking about paddling the right. I was like, dude, I saw a couple of the Brazilians try and they were doing it on the left a few days. Danilo, uh, Danilo Kuto. Yuri and yeah. um, Marcio was the one I saw who really caught like a big one in front of me on the left. And I was just like, we can fucking do this. And I kind of like told Greg that I'm sure he already had it in his mind to do it. But I told him that and was like, dude, let's try it. And he's like, yeah, like, oh, that's a good idea. Like, we should. Like, we've been talking about it. And then, like, the next swell, I went down there and they're all out there. That was, like, the first swell. They all did it. And I was just like, I don't have a board or anything. I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> you fuckers. <laughs> and then that was when Danilo. We didn't say go. <laughs> that was when Danilo got his um, XXL winning ride that day. And I watched that. And I the was big right. Like, yeah. And I was just like, yes, it's on. And then the very next swell, I borrowed Marcio's board and went out and paddled it. And that's when I got my wave, though, was in the intersection part. What, what kind of board were you on? It was a Sean Ordinez. Still the same guy I ride today. But my first board I rode was 10-4 out there. That was Marcio's. 
looking back, I probably couldn't even ride that thing now. I'd fall over. It was like such a big boat, but you know, when we first started paddling, you just all that mattered was catching the wave. And when you got that first wave, you were, you were on a ten four. Yeah. And then when did you start scaling down? Um, my second board was a ten two red board, and that was like we rode that. The next winter was the winter where we really started. When a swell came, it was just like, all right, we're paddling. Like the the winter before, it was like there's like probably three swells at the end. Like we'd paddle like a little in the morning or something, and then tow or one guy would try to paddle. But then like I remember it was January fourth, two thousand eleven, maybe or maybe twelve. No, two thousand twelve, and um, that was the first session where everyone came down with boards and like that was it was it as paddling and i remember i was we all looked at it and we're like no one's gonna catch a fucking wave because it was big it was like a first legit day and we paddled out and we're just like well if everyone's gonna try we might as well try too and we all kind of paddled out and i ended up catching the first wave that morning and i like caught it and it was like a pretty big wave probably still one of the bigger ones i've caught and just being like holy like made it I was like, dude, it's freaking on. Like, that wasn't even that hard. Yeah. <laughs> and what size board were you on at the time? That was a 10-2. That was 10-2. And then after that, I think, like, one or two set. I broke that board, like, a session later. And then I scaled down to 9-4, which was really fun. I got a lot of good waves on that board. And that board, Deja's still riding that board to this day. It's a big yellow board. and um, Deja Connell. Deja Connell, yeah. yeah. He's one of the more underground guys in Maui. He yeah, serves he's, very well. Yeah, he's probably the best underground jaws guy his whole story out there is crazy that's another thing we talk about what's that story <laughs> uh well he just got like we we talk about it in that movie we just did nervous laughter um his whole story is he just got hurt like it's such a weird injury he fell on this really big wave like one of the biggest waves paddled into at the time and his fin went into his knee and it just it hit his cartilage and like all the shit like and you think like a cut you know like oh a cut you stitch it up it heals and but his it scooped out his cartilage Ooh. and stuff that can't grow back <sighs> and um so he left the hospital they gave him surgery in the hospital just to get out all the chunks that was like floating around his knee it went underneath his knee <gasps> and then come like six months later or something he's walking and stuff but he can't he, it's not working and he's like Oh, like I gotta do something about this. Goes to see a couple of experts, and he had to get surgery. And um, another surgery. Yeah, he had to get a cadaver knee, a piece of a dead person's knee, put into his knee to replace the cartilage. Yeah. He got scooped out. Check yes on the o- organ donor box, everyone. Yeah, always. And um, that was crazy. So he was out for almost a year and a half from that injury, and. The whole time, like, he ne- he was always going back out to Jaws, which is, like, such a cool thing and speaks to, like, kind of the lure of, I guess, big wave surfing in general. So even before he was 100%, he was still going back out there? Yeah. Well, no, like, it was just, that was his plan all along. Like, he never, like, through his, a y- like, a year and a half, it dramatically fucked up his life. Still to this day, his leg's not the same. And at the time, he was, like, on his way to kind of, like, he had a good shot at making a career of surfing. And then he hurt his leg and he couldn't surf for a year and a half. And it was like do or die time for him. You know, when you're in your early 20s or whatnot, like 
no one's getting signed at 25 these days. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so it just sucked. And then he, he had to work construction. And it was so gnarly because he had to work to support himself. And um, the work was making his knee worse and worse. So it just, I don't know, it was really rough for him. And he just like, at one point or another, he kind of like, he got really depressed about the whole thing. Because like for a year, he couldn't do any of the things he loved really. Couldn't play basketball. He, like he's really competitive with basketball and shit, and like it was just crazy. And then, but it was so cool because he, you knew the whole time like he was going back out there. And I served for them the first session was during El Nino, not last winter, but the winter before. And the first session back out there, he got like a couple really good ones, and it was just like it was such an awesome thing, you know, to go from like it was like a two-year journey almost from his injury to being back out there do you remember any conversations that you had with him yeah I remember we had a moment where all the our ski drivers one of our like best friends we just like we both just caught a couple good ones and we're getting pretty tired like, oh, let's go take a break in the channel we were just sitting in the channel it was just a beautiful glassy day out of jaws it was, like a little crowded was the only thing but everyone was getting barrels it wasn't huge but it was perfect size and he was just like he just started yelling like yeah like we did just both started like we like hugged it out we we're just like like you're back like it was like such a complete feeling you know yeah to have like because he was like kind of like my partner out there who like i'd sit with every session you know and it was such a good feeling to have him back out there good for you man that's that's radical um your your movie just came out yeah we just finished nervous laughter it's called we did uh it's definitely a different um, different film for us. It's a full documentary style. Lots of storytelling, interviews, but lots of action too. But yeah, it was a freaking... And it's based all around El Nino Winter and our little group of friends, mostly at Jaws and we go to Mavericks as well. But for us, it was a major learning experience to take on a documentary. How so? <laughs> Well, like, cause I, me and my partner, Dan, we, we started Take Shelter Productions together and we started it when we did Attractive Distractions, our first surf movie, which is just surf porn, you know, just like cool lifestyles, action, yeah. song. There's you and your crew in Maui. Yeah, you and your crew traveling. Yeah. Segment, 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 segment. And to like, we're like, oh, we should just do a story about the El Nino winter cause there was so much hype leading into it. Like, oh, we should interview all these people we interviewed greg shane all these people going into the winter and like just in case something crazy the winter was as crazy as say we'd have all this and we got to the end of the year and just so many stories came out during the year and it was like kind of based around my house because there's like i don't know i probably get 40 people in and out of my house during a busy swell year i'm sure it turns into a hostel in the winter time yeah it's a complete it's mayhem it's awesome though but um so we just had all these stories and we're like well and just going through the process of actually like making a film, making a story that consistently went from beginning to end was something me, myself and Dan had never tried to tackle before. And it made us realize how freaking easy it is to make a surfing segment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like an action segment. Air, is cut back barrel. Air, the cut back barrel. In the world, yeah. <laughs> and just to have a story like we brought in that we ended up, and like, it's not like we had budget or anything. Like we did it all out of pocket and which just sucks because I'm still in debt. <laughs> really? Yeah, 
That's expensive, dude. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, especially if you want to make a quality film. Yeah. And not all. even just the, the filming, but the amount of time it takes with pre-production. Those kinds of conversations that you're oh, talking yeah. about right now, figuring out a narrative arc, figuring out where the conflict is, what's the yeah. story, how are you going to make it what's something that's watchable. Yeah, exactly. And the hardest part, too, for us was you get really attached to stories and you get to the end and the movie's, you know, two and a half hours long and you're just like... <laughs> All right, let's fucking start cutting. <laughs> and you just like we chopped so many stories that I like we we're both so passionate about, but it's just like the cutting is the hardest part for sure. Oh yeah. And our movie's still like seventy five minutes and in this day and age that's <laughs> much longer than what the was a good span. What was a good story that you had to cut? Um one of the stories we built out I pro- I, I think we're gonna put it out as a bonus segment eventually, but um we interviewed like Pete Mel and Flea from Mavericks and Santa Cruz and just we wanted to tell a story about because a lot of the um, like when me and Matt and stuff first started getting our success, they they kept calling us like, oh, like two to 20 foot crew and all this. And like like it was a new thing. And, and we were just like, dude, the Mavericks guys were doing that freaking when we were infants, you know, in the 90s and stuff. And like that's we kind of wanted to tell that story of just the similarities of the crews and like because they did the same thing too they didn't chase contests they did photos and video big waves and big airs and that was like that's that's our passion now and it like we just really wanted to compare the characters and stuff and, and then it just it like you could have done a whole movie with that you know or like a yeah and it's just it kind of just ended up being too off topic from the rest of the movie to include but yeah. that was one of the hardest cuts for sure. P-Mail's great on camera too. Yeah. Actually, he he was kind of a hard interview. Really? Yeah, he um What did he do? He did something funny. It was so funny watching like going through interviews for just hours and hours and just Flea was a, one of the coolest interviews too. That's why I was so bummed we didn't get to use it. Cuz I've always just a huge fan of Flea growing up. Cause he's just he's just freaking crazy, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's at the biggest areas. Him and Barney are just biggest areas and biggest waves. Um. Yeah. But yeah, Pete, Pete rambled a lot in his interviews. It was funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's classic. Well, um, what stood out to you in Flea's interview? Um, just how honest he was. You know, like there was no. I don't know, because uh, doing all those interviews, it was it was really trippy thing to because i was behind the camera for all the interviews that weren't me obviously <laughs> like pretty much everyone like interviewing the surfline guy and like all these different people asking the questions yeah well me and dan just right. partnered with it and asked the questions and um but for me it was just trippy to see because you know you see it in contests all the time people have their interview voice you know they're like it's like rehearsed almost oh and yeah I f- fucking hate that <laughs> it, trust me man doing, it, doing a podcast i know yeah, that one yeah, very well and it's just like i um and i you just gotta dose those people with ghb before the interview a lot of honesty comes out <laughs> but that was like you could see it differently <laughs> um, but flea was not that like he like it was so much you get such better content when you were having a conversation with a person. Yes. Not an interview. Yes. That's like, that was the key. Like I'm sure, you know, in a podcast and that's how it felt with flea is we just talked about things we like and dislike about surfing and stuff. And it was just, 
It's cool because those are the questions I wanted to ask him for you know fifteen years. <laughs> Flea is also a bit uh, someone who's been through the ringer. You yeah, know, he's he's experienced life. He, yeah, in a, a in a extent. in a major way, he's been at the top of the mountain and he's been at the bottom of the valley. And exactly to have that perspective provides humility. Yeah. you know, someone who was getting paid six figures. Um, at one point to yeah, you know he was to on top of the world he's an addict and lose every bit of a sponsorship yeah overnight it's and just like and that's still to me is like one of the most and go back to pound, and, and go ever. back to to pounding nails man like for yeah. for a while like the, he he sucked it up and um i i really respect that about him too yeah. every conversation i have with him is is real yeah exactly and that, i felt that so much when we were doing that interview and i was just i was bummed it didn't fit into the rest of our story but it was i was still just stoked i got to have that conversation with him was there any uh question that you asked or or moment that you can remember for that um i talked to him a bit about competitive surfing and i was stoked to learn that we kind of see eye to eye on certain things and that was really cool just talking to him about that and like our likes and dislikes about competitive surfing these days and how he I try to do this as much as possible and he's really good at it too is not not look at um when you're like judging surfing don't judge it as a surfer judge it as a fan kind of a thing which I think is important because that's the point of surfing is appeal to surf fans you know as a career at least that's an interesting way to look at it yeah well yeah because that's I I think that's important for surfers to do is not you know judge it as another surfer judging it judge it as if you're just a fan watching right and then be like okay what do i like and dislike as a surf fan not what do i like and dislike as another surfer huh that's that's a cool way to look at it well i think it's important to do because that's that's who you're appealing to those are that's who make or break your career is the fans of surfing well that's where a lot of innovation can happen as well yeah people who are crowd pleasers like yourself and like flea yeah exactly that's like that's yeah, that's how I approach surfing. Is what do what do I want to see as a surf fan? Right. I would imagine that you would be okay with getting a ten in a heat and losing rather than getting two sevens and making it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as a fan, that's what I want to watch. So, that's what. If I was in competitions, that's what I'd strive to get. Yeah. Win the crowd, not win the contest. Do you? Um, is that a motivator for you when you're uh, creating new tricks? Um. Yeah. Like how does that how does that work for you? Like if you're like okay, I'm gonna go do a 720 or I'm gonna do a double alley oop. What's that mindset like for you when you're it's practicing a, for that? It comes a lot from our our peer group of friends in Maui, just surfing together and like we just like we'll do something you know whether it happens by accident or whatever and just like be like oh what if you did this and like you have these ideas that you kind of bounce off each other like myself Matt barger all our friends and and um it's you need that i think to come up with new tricks like it's you're not going to just sit at home and come up with it by yourself yeah well, i mean you can try but um but then it's just it becomes like with the with the double you and the backside double i for me to do one of those because i'm not like I don't think I'm naturally gifted at doing airs whatsoever. Really? <laughs> like, no, because I'm, like, big, tall. I weigh freaking almost 200 pounds now. <laughs> and, like... You got to get out of San Diego, man. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but it's just, um... Like, for me to do something like that, I, I really... I put a, as much thought as I put physical energy into it. Like, 
I think about it, how to do it as much as I like try to figure it out by trying. What do you mean by that? Like just like bring me into that situation. Well, like I, I watch footage and I just like, I, I don't know. Like I just think like, okay, like it's not working. And then I like look at the footage and I just think for hours, like, why isn't it working? Like, how am I going to make this work? Like, do I need to lose weight? Do I need to get a different board? Do I need to surf? Like, which wave is this going to work out? That kind of thing. And so it's it's a lot of thought going into it where it's like, which is a totally different process than a lot of surfers. Like, Matt, when he did his couple of new tricks, he'd go out, just randomly decide to try it and stop it because he's just, he has that freak talent where, like, both of the whatever doubles I tried, it was just trying a freaking thousand times <laughs> like that's that's how i learned a new trick because i try a thousand times is there a place that you think about it most like is it like well, you're going to bed and you're rehearsing it in your mind or going or? to bed and, and just going over the footage and just no i definitely i do a lot of visualizing for sure i think that it's important and just i a lot of I guess you'd call it research, but watching other sports is a huge has huge impact. Even mountain biking and like mountain biking, snowboarding. I don't watch skating a little bit, like mega ramp stuff. I think, but who do you watch? Um, skating. I love Danny Way. <laughs> He's the man. He's awesome. You ever see his documentary? Yeah. Oh god, like damn! It's so sexy. Yeah, that's a best. sick doc. Yeah. Um, I watch Danny Way a lot, and like. Just anyone, i like, huge fan of, like, Matt Hoffman, who's just crazy. Like, all these guys that, like... Mountain, or BMX biker. He's a BMX. Um, even, like, Travis Pastrana and stuff. The people who just, like, just took their f- sport a little further than it was at the time. Like, I just admire that so much in people. And it, I think it's hard to do in surfing because we don't, don't have the ability to build our ramps, you know? But I, that's like, that's my goal is like to do stuff that hasn't been done, obviously, but like just to make it so at the beginning of my career or whatever, like if I, like the coolest thing ever, you know, if I'm old and people are doing double spins, I could be like, I did yeah. that. Like, I started like, that's like, that's my end goal, you know? <laughs> and that's, I admire like the guys like Matt Hoffman and all that who did that in other sports. And I, like I obsessively watch all their stuff and just. Not just their... I look at the tricks, like in snowboarding, I actually look at the maneuvers a lot. Like, but, bo- like body positioning and yeah, where and they all are. that, but what? like the mental state of like the Matt Hoffmans and Danny Ways yeah. and Travis Toronto's, like I watch documentaries and just kind of like try to see how they do that, you know? Has there been anything that one of those athletes has said that you've taken with you? Um, yeah, a lot. And that documentary... Um, What's of it Danny called? Way. I forget what it's called. Waiting for lightning. Oh yes. Yeah. And um, and then Matt Hoffman had this thirty for thirty. And just Matt Hoffman's one I watched so many times. It's he's so he's so tap. He's like it's just the craziest fucker in action sports. I think like almost ever. But there's I don't know. There, he did this thing where he kind of like invented that like big quarter pipe the which led to Danny Way making the mega ramp kind of. And he used to do... He like, did it before Danny Way. I didn't know that. Yeah, way okay. earlier. Like in the 90s. Um, but he used to tow in a, a motorcycle on his BMX and hit this like 20-foot quarter pipe. And at the time, like 
12 foot was by far the biggest. And it's just like his ability to look at something and not just go a little bit bigger, but go twice as big. Like that was just like, and his like, I don't know exactly what he says, but talking about it, like uh, that was something that I was thought was just so cool. And that kind of stuck with me. Like you don't have to baby steps. Like yeah. you can do leaps and bounds, you know? I think that that's where a lot of um, substantial change happens across sectors too. People point to um, w- one of the reasons why Martin Luther King's movement was so successful is that he wasn't asking for 20% less segregation in the next five yeah. years. He was saying this shit is wrong and yeah. it needs to stop right now. Yeah, I think that is important not to sometimes running before you can walk kind of thing. Just yeah. like not going for the next step but going for three or four steps you know yeah man grab another beer if you like okay i think i'm good um (laughs) still hurting from last night (laughs) yeah (laughs) what happened last night (laughs) what were the horse races yesterday what was that like that's freaking fun in Um, san diego there are horse races yeah del mar Wore suits, go bet on horses. I lost a hundred dollars. Okay, you wore suits. Yeah, you get all dressed up. Some dapper shit. Yeah, that's kind of rad. Uh, is it like full? I feel like the horse racing hit its peak in like the 1920s. I swear it's like still here comes Pixie around the corner, oh, and I'll be there. His horse is coming into first <laughs> along the finish line. They're still doing that, dude. Or you listen to it. Really, like that style? Yeah, that's so cool. No, horse racing is still huge. It's plenty of rich people. <laughs> was, it, was it your first time going to the horse races? No, I went once before. Um, this was like industry day where all the people from the industry go. It yeah. was really fun. And we went once on opening day and we got really decked out for that. It's like the first time I ever wore a suit. <laughs> nice, man. Well, what's next uh, for the rest of the summer? Um, we're going to do a couple more premieres of our movie in Montauk and I think one or two in Oregon. And anyone else who wants to show it anywhere? <laughs> Can uh, people see it online yet? Yeah, it's on iTunes, but um, people don't buy movies on iTunes anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Learning that the hard way, I see. Yeah, it sucks. Um, but no, I totally get it because everyone you know, has Netflix and Amazon and all these things, and they want it to be streamed, like yeah. all-inclusive. Yes. And like, because our movie wasn't selling a ton on iTunes... But relative to documentaries, it was doing fine. It's just all of iTunes sales are down on this kind of right. genre. And so we're working really hard to get it on Netflix. And right is now. your current sponsor, DeKine, helping push the film around? Yeah. I mean, they do what they can, but it just sucks because me and Dan, because we, like all our other projects, we just want to do it our way. So we don't fight to get a bunch of money from someone to right. you know because we don't want to you know dictator over our creativity um but then in doing that we end up very far in the hole because we spend all the money ourselves right and if a film flops or doesn't sell well we suffer so everyone go show up in montauk and <laughs> yeah. where else montauk and bend oregon i think in september it's an amazing film man yeah you should be super proud of that thank you yeah i think it'll i hope it and the goal with it was to build something because you know an action edit is you know they in a, a year or two it's out of style because the maneuvers being done are old now yeah and with this like i and telling a story i hope it's something that can last you know a little longer yeah yeah 
Good for you, man. Um, well, let's wrap it up. Where can people get in touch with you if they want to send any love mail or hate mail? Um, I get hate mail all the time to my Instagram. Do you? There. Yeah. Really? What kind? Um, I don't know, a lot. Not so much anymore. I used to when I was a little, like, little more outspoken. About what? I, I guess I still am, but... Wait, before we go off, we gotta hear about this. Um, I don't know. I get crazy mail from people sometimes. Just like when I like complain about something, I try to like uh, like a competition call or something like that. Like, oh, that guy got overscored. I'll get people like writing me like, "You're a fucking idiot!" Like all this shit. Like, I've gotten crazy stuff. People send like borderline death threats to me <laughs> wait, sometimes. Hey, just give give me one, and then we'll wrap it up. Fuck, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but. There was a um, some good ones. during the election. I you posted something about oh that was unreal. The hate mail I got during that. You're was like crazy. if you voted for Donald Trump, unfollow me right now. Yeah, I was so pissed. That's why I couldn't believe it. Fucking did that. Still can't. What did people write you? Give me one. Um, no, just how like I'm a uneducated idiot and like living in a bubble in Hawaii and all this stuff. I'm like, dude, I freaking travel all over this world. Like, where do you live, Kansas? <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of just I don't really I, I don't let it get to me Like stab comments And all that shit Cause Oh those I've been st- Stab comments are You need to expect it From that Yeah But it's cool now I actually um I kind of have like a Good Following of people Who Attack the people Who attack me On like comment boards <laughs> I know my Instagram And shit Like it's pretty funny Like anytime I get attacked Like there's like Five or like six people There's like no, you're a fucking idiot. Like, y'all, like ain't yeah. even, y'all ain't even on my level. Let my little <laughs> homies tear you up. Yeah. It's so rad, though. Like, literally, and people stopped, like, negative commenting on Stab about me as much. It's so rad. <laughs> like, whoever those people are, dude, I love you. Thank you. That's great, man. Um, where, where can people get in touch with you? Instagram? Yeah, Instagram. Um, or on Facebook. My Facebook's Albert Lair. Apparently, I have a fake Facebook. Mm. Mine's Albert. <laughs> Right on, I just man. Found that out the other day. It was fun. Thanks for taking the time. Dude, thank you, Kyle. That's our show, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm going to leave you with a song from a local Santa Cruz grunge band called Return to Nagoya. And this is a song called Lost and Found. I will link to their band page in the show notes on my website, kyle.surf. Don't forget to donate, give this show a rating on iTunes, or just share it with a friend. All right. Get outside, get in the ocean if you can. If you're not near an ocean, get in a lake. If you're not near a lake, get in a bathtub. I promise it will make your day better. See you soon.